1: Welcome to Dr. Marikarpel and Your Golden Years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarikarpel.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, September the twelfth, twenty twenty one, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpel, and we are back live from beautiful and still very hot Austin, Texas. And I hope that you're all staying safe wherever you are this evening. And we hope that we can entertain you and inform you with this great show we have in store for you this evening. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment is here with us. Uh, to produce the show, make it run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after a short break, we'll be joined by Buddhist teacher and author, Alex Kakuyo. And he's a former Marine, and he'll be here to discuss his new book, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life, as well as some other topics of his online meditation talks, such as self versus non-self and avoiding the spiritual bypass trap. And later in the program, our producer, Art Mendoza, will join us on this side of the microphone to give a tribute to our dear friend who recently passed, guitarist Jake Cortez, and we'll be playing some of Jake's music. And along the way, I'll talk a bit about self-compassion for a more passionate life, even during these difficult times with all of the obstacles that um, we see before us. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to, to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me and I will read them on the air to my guests. And my email address is Dr. Mara. That's D-R-M-A-R-A at Dr dot com. And after the program, you can hear this evening's program again by going to the website and the link. To the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with any website links that we talk about on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's b l o g dot com slash your golden years, and it will also be on Apple Podcasts five minutes after the show ends. You can hear all the previous programs. If you go to drmaricarpel.com or blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And if you want to know what's coming up in the future, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Maricarpel, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment Postal Productions and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by a Mighty Good Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more, whether it's in person or virtually. Anything can be found to fill your days with others in your own age group. So be more active and start filling your days. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break. It's going to be very brief, just to play a couple of our other sponsors' commercials. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Alex Kakuyo to talk about perfectly ordinary Buddhist teachings for everyday life and more. So don't, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super, Super Psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell. We'll be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
1: And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years right here on drmaricarpel.com and on blogtalkradio.com. And now joining us on the phone, we have Alex Cotullo, who is a lay Buddhist teacher and former Marine. And he recently wrote a book called Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. And he's here to discuss living with the Buddhist teachings, whether we're Buddhist or not, in our daily lives. Welcome, Alex. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for having me. So much for joining us, and I just want to remind you and our listeners that when we speak like this, there's a slight delay, so people shouldn't be confused by a little bit of a pause. So I know I'm I'm I know I'm messing up your last name. What's the proper pronunciation?
2: Oh no, actually it was correct. Uh, (laughs) Kukuyu.
1: Kukuyu. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where to put the accent. Sure. So, Alex, maybe we could start off just by talking about your background, because you have kind of an interesting background leading you up to becoming a Buddhist teacher, um, a little bit
2: unusual. Sure. So, my entire life, I've been nagged by certain questions. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? And I always had this sensation that I needed to be doing something else or something more than I was already doing. So I I never really had any sort of inner peace, even at a Mm -hmm. young age. And I dealt with that the way most people do by accumulating things and accomplishments. And I was successful I I did very well for myself in corporate America. I earned a bachelor's degree in philosophy. I spent eight years in the Marine Corps serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. However, the inner peace that I was looking for never came. I would say the breaking point was probably... While I was working in corporate America, I had a sales job at the time, and I was one of the top people in my company, so they rewarded me with a big bonus check and a fancy vacation, me and some of the other top people, and I got my check. I went home, sat on the couch, and kind of just waited for some feeling of happiness, some feeling of peace to come over me. And I waited, and I waited, and it never happened.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: in my mind, I just realized that if this wasn't going to do it, then nothing would. So out of desperation, I started to look towards various spiritual paths. Uh, One day, I, I stumbled upon Buddhism, walked into a Buddhist temple, and just really felt at home. Uh, the training wasn't easy. A lot of it, the chanting, the meditation, was very foreign to me. But I felt so good afterwards that I knew I was onto something. And that's been the last ten years of my life. hmm
1: hmm And and now
2: you are
1: a a, a lay Buddhist teacher. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's correct. Okay, and um, so do you have your own group of students that come to you to to learn about Buddhism?
2: Yes, so the focus of my ministry is making things as available to people as I can. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision early on to have all of my teaching be online, either through my YouTube channel uh, which is, you can find that through my name, Sensei Alex Cucullo, uh, through my blog, The Same Old Zen, through my book, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life. Uh, the internet is truly wonderful because everyone has access to it. Well, boy, so, the
1: timing was perfect.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I I have a sangha that but we meet online as opposed to in uh-huh. person. So that's been very fortunate given the last 18 months for sure. It,
1: exactly. Everybody else is scrambling to figure out how to do this online thing.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. And that's great because I've actually appreciated in the last 18 months, being able to take classes and workshops with people that I always wanted to attend the workshops, but I couldn't get to them physically.
2: Sure, sure. There's the cost of time. There's the cost, frankly, of money with plane tickets, gas, et cetera. So uh, the beautiful thing Mm -hmm. about teaching online is that they're available to people whenever they need them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Absolutely.
1: So, so what led you to writing Perfectly Ordinary?
2: Yes. Yeah, so one thing that I struggled with early in my practice was finding a book that was both comprehensible, uh, that I didn't feel like I was reading some sort of an academic text, but also Mm -hmm. was useful in my daily life, in my daily experience. And what I found was that most Dharma books aren't accessible to people. Either they are written from the viewpoint of and for monastics. So Mm -hmm. the idea is you either already live in a monastery or you will soon or they're written from the perspective of a sociologist or an academic who may not even be practicing Buddhism, but they spent many years in Tibet or Nepal or Japan. So they speak about it from a historical academic sense, uh, mm-hmm. discussing where words come from and the nature of specific kanji, the history of a temple, etc all very interesting all very good knowledge but again not something that's helpful when i'm stuck in traffic when i'm (laughs) watching when Uh i'm upset with my spouse so my goal was to write a book that blended didn't shy away from really dove deeply into those canonical buddhist teachings but then also took the time to explain how is this useful in our daily lives? How can this help us when we have to pay a bill with money we don't have, when we're working a job we don't like, when we have relatives that we don't get along with? Uh, How how can Buddha help us in those moments? So that's really the focus of the text. So
1: it's really not... You know, meant for people who are thinking, oh, I need to move to India and give up everything in my life, but more about living in this world.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is not meant for anyone who plans on moving to India um, or, or any other place, really. It is meant for people who've made the decision, I want to walk a spiritual path, but I want to walk it in the midst of my family and my friends, Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. so so i hope you don't mind me asking you it's sort of like a personal question but i think it's really important you know um how has how have you your how's your experience been as someone who doesn't look like what we expect to be from a buddhist teacher like you're not mm-hmm. a so you're not an older white man or a an Asian man. Um, mm-hmm. Your experience of your life has been different than a lot of, you know, Buddhist monks um, in that you haven't spent years and years in a monastery and decided to come out and teach. You, you were in the Marines um, and you let, worked in the corporate world. So how has that experience been for you? Has it made it more accessible for for other people who to be interested or has it been an obstacle or you know a little of each
2: I, I would say overall it's been a real blessing for my own personal practice and my ability to work with students i i would say there are challenges at times uh mm-hmm. as you said i don't look the way people expect me to look when they think of a, a buddhist teacher or buddhist minister Uh, So there is some skepticism at first, Mm -hmm. but what that has Mm -hmm. done is made me practice more, made me study more, and what I found is when people realize that I can speak on the Brahmas Net Sutra, when I can explain the Nirvana Sutra, when I can make the trikaya teaching of Buddhism easy to understand and useful to their daily experience, uh, a lot of that skeptic- skepticism quickly goes away. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've also found, because that was a struggle I had in trying to do both, how do I work a job, how do I pay student loans and take time to... At, to go to the Buddhist temple to do all the trainings that are necessary to become a lay Buddhist minister, right? Uh, the, the standards don't change just because you have bills that need to be paid. So right. having, having to deal with that tension of having to do both, that I have a Buddhist teacher that I have to work with and I have my corporate boss, that I also have to work with and how do I walk in both of these worlds at once, having lived through those struggles, I have, I think, an easier time than most helping others to do the same.
1: Yeah, that would make, you know, and, and really in, in Buddhism, those challenges are seen as, you know, positive things, right? Because there are lessons in them.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, the difficulty is the way
1: right, so you know I, you know, I'm aware that there are a lot of listeners who are not Buddhist practitioners or don't intend to practice Buddhism, but you know, I found I as someone who has been practicing Buddhism for many years, but like, I say practicing because I haven't achieved it. Um, I, you know, I see it as a as a way of life that I think there are a lot of lessons, and certainly in your book, Perfectly Ordinary, there are a lot of lessons for living our lives. Whether whether you practice Buddhism or you practice another, you know, faith or spiritual path or no spiritual path at all, but it seems mm-hmm. you know that you've really touched on the the main issues that people deal with in life. So so maybe you can kind of give us a couple of, like, an insight into your book. <laughs> um, just, like, what are some of the main teachings um, that could help us, whether, you know, we're on that Buddhist path or not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, uh, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life, What I do is I talk about a lot of my own personal experiences walking this Buddhist path, uh, my path to becoming empowered as a Buddhist teacher, and some of the struggles I faced while I was doing that, because as we alluded to earlier in the conversation, there is a real tension between our spiritual life and our daily life, and that's something I struggled with. For a long time, I was under the impression that I could not be Buddhist and have an ordinary life, an ordinary existence. So trying and learning how to blend these two things together is a big focus of the book. I also focus on sort of the core teachings of Buddhism in the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. So the four noble truths state life is suffering. Suffering is caused by desire. The way to end suffering is to end desire. The way to end desire is the noble eightfold path. And then Mm -hmm. the noble eightfold path is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And... What I do is for each one of those, I take experiences from my own life, working on waste oil furnaces while I was on a farm in Indiana, uh, being late for a meeting while I was working in corporate America, arguments I've had with my family and friends. And I then explain how it was Buddhism that helped me overcome that, those canonical Buddhist teachings. But by connecting those teachings to that real-world experience, I show, okay, well, what is the usefulness of the Four Noble Truths in daily life, for example? Um, what. Well, One really good example, I think, is that first noble truth, which states uh, life is suffering. And that's that's very pessimistic, right? It's very scary Mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. I, I usually get some pushback, but we have to remember a couple of things. First, there's some historical context in the first noble truth. The Buddha, 2,600 years ago, lived during a time when, Starvation was the norm. When mm-hmm. if someone died in the street and there was no one to pick up the body, it just stayed there. When if you were injured or suffered some sort of sickness, uh, your chances of survival were slim. So he was probably coming from spirituality from a very uh, a pessimistic place just because mm-hmm. of the time where he lived. Uh, That being said, pessimism isn't always bad. So for me, the first noble truth, life is suffering, was sort of a reset of my normal expectations of life. When I realized that suffering is a normal part of our existence, that it doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong, it doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. someone's out to get us, this is just... You know, things break sometimes, and that's okay. Uh, sometimes our loved ones are in a bad mood, and that's okay. The way it helped me is I stopped taking things so personally. Mm-hmm. So before... Yeah, that's big. Lap- right. So before, if my laptop broke, then I'm stupid. It's my fault. If I bought a better laptop, if I'd done the right research, I- this wouldn't have happened to me. After the first noble truth, understanding that a broken laptop is a normal part of existence, well, okay, laptops break. I'll go get a new one. And all that suffering is gone. Right. So in other words, life is full of
1: these incidents or things that cause suffering, but we don't have to be stuck in the suffering.
2: Exactly. In, in the Brahmas Net Sutra, there's a lot of talk of compounded suffering. So there's a suffering just, that just naturally happens. The laptop is going to break. That, I don't care how smart you are, how careful you are, something's going to happen. But we can choose to not compound that suffering by beating ourselves up over it or beating someone else up over it. Right, right. I have
1: heard that described as the second arrow, where yes. we, uh, mm-hmm. we 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 shoot a second arrow at ourselves, <laughs> basically, after we're going through the suffering, and we we say, oh, I'm a terrible person because of it, or there's something wrong with me. Mhm,
2: mhm. And that's a lesson that I learned, and that's something I talk about quite a bit in the book. Is that just learning to accept the fact that not every moment of life is going to be fun or sexy or exciting. That life is full of boring mundane things, washing the dishes, mowing mm-hmm. the lawn, etc. And our culture has poisoned our minds to think that there's something wrong with that. But if we can learn to accept that this is just a normal part of life, then the first noble truth, beco- instead of being a source of suffering, becomes a source of gratitude. Because if I understand it's normal for the laptop to break, now I'm joyful every time it doesn't. Right.
1: Okay. That's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> so, so there's no really so gratitude what about, that comes from that. Yeah. You know, what about the bigger things? I've been watching your YouTube videos and you have, so much so many lessons in there but I particularly focused in on your discussion about what's going on right now where it's like it's not just the laptop drinking but like we're you know we're in a pandemic we're dealing with becoming aware of social justice issues Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people and you you mentioned this a lot of people have what I would describe as like toxic positivity where they say, you know, just ignore the negative and everything will be all right. Focus only on the positive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's described as spiritual bypass. So yes. I'd love that you discussed that because it's something that is one of my pet peeves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first. You know, let's talk about what is spiritual bypass and why is
2: it harmful? Sure, sure. Well, I'll start off just by being very blunt and honest and saying that when I first started practicing Buddhism, I was probably guilty of spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. And it was... As just I think through,
1: and most of us are when we get into any kind of spiritual practice, I think. Yes.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate, however, to have very good teachers, very wise, compassionate teachers that very very gently but very um, bluntly uh, explained to me that bypass wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. And spiritual bypass essentially is just this idea that if we practice spirituality well enough, then we shouldn't suffer anymore. And Mm -hmm. part of that is that if we're truly spiritual people, then we don't acknowledge suffering in the world. Right. And what that ends up happening then is Buddhism or any spiritual practice just becomes another feather in our cap, another mode of self-improvement, another mode of me trying to gain some pleasure from the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what strikes me about that is it's not in keeping with the Buddha or the life that he lived. Uh, many people come to Buddhism with the mistaken idea that Buddha realized enlightenment and everything was just peaches and cream after that. But he suffered some real tragedies after he realized enlightenment. His father was not did not approve of the fact that he was a spiritual teacher. He wanted him to become a king and rule his kingdom. The Buddha was born as a prince. And he actually went so far as to say he was ashamed of his son.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: At which, imagine that, being the world-honored one, being the Buddha, and having your own father say he's ashamed of you.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Is. His cousin attempted to kill him on several occasions. His clan, the Shakya clan, was almost wiped out. So the Buddha suffered. His enlightenment did not help him escape from the world or the world's problems. And we often have this mistaken view. I had it when I first started practicing that if I just practice well enough, then I'll gather some sort of spiritual armor where suffering won't touch me anymore. Mm -hmm. And if we have this idea, then that goes to the toxic positivity that we try to prove how spiritual we are by not acknowledging the suffering of the world. But the practice in Buddhism is not to ignore suffering quite the opposite. It's, to learn when suffering is inescapable and in those moments to suffer well.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: whenever possible, to help others escape from their own suffering. Uh, so we see this in the Bodhisattva vows. A Bodhisattva is a being who has realized full and complete enlightenment and has taken it upon themselves to save all beings from suffering. Now, these are beings, Amida, the Buddha of Infinite Light, Kanan, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, who, if they wanted to, could just leave this samsaric world, leave the realm of existence altogether. But they choose to stay here in this defiled samsaric world and continue working for the benefit of others.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So if we're truly spiritual and not just pretending to be, then we follow their example and we don't ignore the suffering of the world. We go out and we try to fix it.
1: Right. Which is which is the definition of compassion, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So if we look at the, the Brahmas Net Sutra, for example, I'm, I'm teaching on the Brahmas Net Sutra right now, so it's top of mind for me. But... He says that we must be emptied of emptiness, meaning that we must go so deeply into our spiritual practice that we come out the other side and realize that this is all there is. And then we work for the benefit of others out of that wisdom we've gained through our spirituality. I often use the example of our hands. So if my hands are cold, I put them in my pocket. If they touch a hot stove, I pull it away. There's no thought of, are they good hands? Do they deserve my help? I understand instinctively my hands are a part of who I am, so I care for Mm -hmm. them. If we understand that all beings are part of the Buddha body, that we are all having, according to the Nirvana Sutra, we all have Buddha nature, right? So Mm -hmm. we are all Buddhas. So if we, all, if we understand truly that we are all part of the same Buddha body, then I look at you and I see my own face.
3: Mm-hmm. I look at someone mm-hmm.
2: else, I see my own hands. And I care for other people in the same way that I care for my own physical body.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I, I think this is a really important topic, especially in a time like now where we can see very, very mm-hmm. clearly that what I do Even if I think It's just for myself has, a, has an impact On everybody else In my community And even in the whole world
2: Yes Yes 100% um, mm-hmm. As we're talking about this I'm thinking about The, the Vimalakirti Sutra And we have Vimalakirti Who's a layperson So he's not a monk He's not um, He is a great teacher but he's not a monk, he, he's a scholar, actually. And he lives a daily life, same as everyone else. And they ask him, uh, one of the monastic, Shariputra asked him, where were you in your past life? And Vimalakirti says that he was in a heaven realm. So here we have an individual who was in the Buddhist version of heaven, one of them. And he chose to leave that so he could come to this samsara world And out of compassion for all sentient beings, help the people here, Mm -hmm. which is mind-blowing to me. For someone to leave heaven and come to earth to benefit other beings, to save them from suffering. And I think
1: it seems like, go on, go on.
2: (laughs) I I, I was just going to say, the wisdom of this practice, when we truly learn to embody it, makes that very easy for us to do. So it's mm-hmm. hard for us to imagine our own defiled state, but for a fully realized, fully enlightened beings, there's no other choice. There's nothing else we can do when others are suffering. Thus, this, mm-hmm. this spiritual bypass, this idea of my spiritual practice makes me above the suffering of the world, it, it, it's not possible.
1: Right, right. So, you know, I, I think you know, there's a, there's a very large group you know of of different tasks that people are taking where they're saying well if you just imagine the positive if you just think about the positive things you only pay attention to the positive things then nothing bad will really happen to you and and to me not only is that dangerous And bad for us because we're likely to be disappointed and crash and not have the resilience to get back up because we weren't expecting it. Um, Mm -hmm. But also I think it's cruel
2: to the people around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is why the the first noble truth to me, instead of being scary, it's such a beautiful teaching because if we accept life is suffering period, I, I love Buddha as a teacher because he just smacks us in the face with, with the truth. Then the okay. next question becomes, well, what now? How do we respond to that suffering? So if we walk this path, it makes it impossible for us to turn away from the suffering of the world because it's literally the first teaching that Buddha offers us.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: this suffering, mm-hmm. do something about it. First, we do something in our own lives, examining our desires, figuring out which ones are healthy and life-affirming, which ones we need to put aside. And then as we continue with that practice, we start doing the same for others. Mm -hmm. Because we're all connected. So my life, by extension, whether I can see this or not for myself, naturally affects yours. I always explain as if, if you're living in a house with roommates, Right. So if you choose to listen to your music with headphones, then you get to enjoy your music and you don't bother anyone else. If you listen right. to your music on your stereo and it's turned up as loud as it can be at 3 a.m. in the morning, now you're creating a huge amount of suffering, not only for yourself, because you're probably hurting your hearing, but also for your roommates who are trying to sleep. hmm which is why the Buddhist practice starts with ourselves, not because we only care about ourselves, but because we understand if we save ourselves, we automatically save other beings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and vice versa. If we right. save other beings who are our eyes, our hands, our nose, et cetera, we very naturally save ourselves. Right.
1: So right. We this is- oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs>
2: Well, I was just going to say, so we exchange a theology of consumerism, we exchange a theology of me, 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 for a theology of grace, for a theology mm-hmm. of compassion. In, in the Nirvana Sutra, and this is one of the most powerful teachings in Buddhism, we are taught that all beings are Buddha, everyone,
3: mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we have
2: defilements that cover up our Buddha nature. And that's why we act out. We have greed, we have anger, we have ignorance. That doesn't mean our enlightened nature, our Buddha nature goes away. It just means it's hidden. So in our practice then is learning to use expedient means to take away those defilements so that we can manifest our Buddha nature, our enlightened nature in daily life. So that does two Mm -hmm. things. Because if all beings are Buddha, we have to honor and venerate all of those beings the same way we honor and venerate the Buddha on our altar. I can't bow to the Buddha in my meditation hall if I'm not willing to bow to the Buddha in the street or the Buddha in the shopping center or the Buddha who's working in the cafeteria. Right. I can do all well or I can do none.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always talk about how um, it's not possible to live a passionate life without having compassion for other people, mm-hmm. because as you said, you know, it benefits us when we are compassionate towards other people. It, it, it makes our life have more meaning. Yes,
2: yes Absolutely. And that, that goes, again, to this idea of interconnectedness, that we are all part of the same Buddha body. Mm-hmm. All right. mm-hmm. So if I take care of my heart, by extension, I'm taking care of my lungs. If I take care of my lungs, I'm, by extension, taking care of my brain. So we understand this intuitively when we think about our physical selves, our physical body. But if we expand that compassion we extend that understanding to the entirety of the Buddha body and we understand that all people are a part of the same thing we're a part of, then we understand that if I help my neighbor, I'm helping myself.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, we could go on and on, Alex, and I would love to have you come back because there's just so much and you have a lot of wisdom about all of it. Um, But if people are interested in taking your, you know, being part of your online founders or watching your YouTube videos or reading your blogs or reading your book, um, Mm -hmm. what are the best ways that they can do that?
2: Oh, absolutely. So uh, my book, Perfectly Ordinary Buddhist Teachings for Everyday Life, is available wherever books are sold. Probably the easiest places to go would be Amazon. Or if you want to support independent uh, bookstores, you can go to bookshop.org and uh, pick it up there. In terms of my teachings, like I said, I I place them all online free of charge because I want to make this as available to people as I can following the example of the Buddha. So my Mm -hmm. blog, where I do most of my writing, is at thesameoldzen.org, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. And my teachings can be found on YouTube if you just look up uh, Sensei, S-E-N-S-E-I, Alex Kakuyo. Uh, Kakuyo is K-A-K-U-Y-O. Just look me up on YouTube and you'll find all of my Dharma Talks available there free of charge.
1: Great. And I do highly recommend it because I've, I've really been enjoying them as i going through them. <laughs> so... Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for for coming on this evening, and and I would love to have you back. So let's let's be in touch.
2: Okay? Absolutely. There's... Thank you so much.
1: All right. Well, you have a very good evening.
2: Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye bye.
1: All right. We're going to take a very quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. Um, You know, over the past few weeks, I've been talking about following our passion in spite of everything that's going on in the world. But I think that we really touched on the main issues in our discussion with Alex this evening, Um, compassion compassion for others and having compassion for yourself, which I, I don't think that finding a goal of a passion that you have or something that you really love to do is going to be sustainable without these two um, parts of it. You need to be kind to yourself and not beat yourself up over mistakes and things happening. As Alex is saying, life has suffering or life is suffering, meaning that things are going to happen that knock us off the path. Just because you're on a passionate path doesn't mean that the rest of life stand still while you pursue your goals. And, um, you know, and when we come out of this pandemic, it doesn't mean that life is going to be just wonderful at every step we take. There are always going to be things that kind of knock us down. And, And so, you know, instead of having that second arrow of beating ourselves up over it, we can say, oh, this is, you know, I'm going to talk more about that, um, about having self-compassion. We had Dr. Kristen Neff on a few weeks ago to talk about her research in self-compassion, um, but I'm going to save it for another show because um, I have Art waiting to go on to the next part, and so we're going to go right to that. And um, Art is the producer of this program, and Art is going to join us now on this side of the mic to talk about, um, to give a tribute to our dear friend, um, guitarist, musician, Jake Cortez, who's been on this program before with his music, and um, he recently passed, so we're going to pay tribute to him. So, Art, are you there? She walk in? All right. And that, of course, was Jake Cortez um, playing the guitar. Amazing art.
4: Yeah, Jake Cortez. Jay Cortez is probably one of the finest guitar players I ever shared the stage with <clears throat> or played alongside. And I've played with a lot of great people. Um, Michael Rodriguez, Eric Johnson, um, Claude Morgan. I can name several more, but I think what's uh, really amazing is that he could play anything at any time without knowing the music. And that is uh, the sign of a master. Uh, I've never been schooled in music. All I do is create it and play it and hire the people to do the lead instruments and all the other uh, percussions, etc. But, uh, If it wasn't for Christopher Hardcastle, I would have never met Jay Cortez. He got in touch with me about 11 years ago. 11, 11, uh, yeah, about 11 years ago. and said, you gotta see this guy playing at Coco's on the island. And uh, I went and saw him and was blown away. Not only of how he performed, but also how kind he was. And uh, everybody will say that about him. He was such a kind, beautiful person, even though he looked like he was a, uh, a bill collector for the mafia. <laughs> he funny. was a little frightening, but beautiful, beautiful human being. And, he was
1: always on his motorcycle with his black leather jacket always, and his yeah. tattoos. <laughs> he,
4: had, uh, he, roared, he rode his bike or he drove his uh, Chevy, which was a classic with the big old wings on the tail taillights. And uh, he said, do you know that I don't have to have seatbelts because of the year this car was made? And it was surprising because he was that detailed about everything. He worked on his cars. He worked on his motorcycle. He worked on his instruments. And uh, quite an amazing person. And it's just sad that uh, we lost him. But that mm-hmm. first song, she with the uh song from uh Jimi Hendrix, Little Wing with uh Brian Weimert, another in- incredible guitar player. And uh how he just performed at my celebration and uh Dr. Mary Carpill's celebration on the island. And uh, this next song I'm gonna play is the song that uh he played at uh he did a benefit for a friend of ours and uh, it's, it's a song that I wrote and uh, one of my favorite uh, leads are what he plays in the song it's a short piece of it but uh, the name of the song is Punta Mita Time and uh, this is it
3: CP just flows through my mind it takes
4: us back to the place
3: Good, Good time, time.
4: Now, I had a lot of other songs to, to pull out, but it would take too long to, to do them all. And uh, I'm getting all the uh, video tape that I shot of him throughout the years and making a uh, a gift for his brother and sending him a flash drive of all the video that uh, I shot of him. Incredible artist and, and just a beautiful human being. So I'm giving mm-hmm. it back to you there yeah. and uh tell the people what's
1: up. All right, thank you. Art. Yep, we're going to miss we are going to miss Jake. Um but let's let's end here and I want to let you know what's happening next week. Next Sunday is September 19th and we'll be joined by Christian Storm, who's a writer, activist and mental health as well as the co-founder of Home Alive and of if you don't, they will facilitating self-defense and boundary-setting curricula rooted in martial arts and social justice. And Christian joins us to discuss her book, Empowered Boundaries, Seeking Truth, Setting Boundaries, and Inspiring Social Change. And more. We always have more on the program. Um, And before I go to the credits, I just want to mention that this is Suicide Awareness Month, and I want to let you know that there's always someone to call if you're ever feeling like you might hurt yourself or if you're worried about someone you love, that they might hurt themselves. The 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline where there is always someone there to talk to is, and it's made up of people who really care, um, the phone number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's one 800 273 8 Now, if you do call that number, you will get an automated voice menu. It's not voicemail. Do not hang up. It's just asking you some questions so that it knows how to direct your call. So, for example, if you're a veteran, you would press 1. And when it directs your call, somebody will answer the phone. All right. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the show with the website links, um, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and you can also hear the program in five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, b l o g talkradio.com/slash Your Golden Years, or you can go to Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming shows and upcoming events, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Maricarpel Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. And special thanks to my guest, Sensei Alex Kakuyo, And, of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth have no age. Good night, everyone.
4: high now, shows a man where to fish. Watch me send it, he lies in his hammock, teach his
3: stories how to live,
4: and he knows
3: how to live.
4: Thunder High in that Mountain Watch the Clouds Rolling in Senorita They dance On that Shoreline Making plans For that Kiss And they Know how To kiss They say That we're One hour Behind But the Senorita
0: us in time that part b c t just blows through my mind
4: it takes me back to my place punta Meter time <laughs> oh, 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 oh.